I feel like I've been gone all week because I've been gone all week. I was down in the South Dakota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'd never been there before, and I was there with over 100 other pastors. It was our district conference this past week, and um, it's always interesting when you're around other pastors, and we're all, you know, coming from different parts of the, the state and areas and different congregations, and I'm going to give you some insight. There's a, one question that pastors always ask the other pastors. It's kind of one of those things that we kind of check in, and we always say, hey, what are you preaching on? Right? That's a good conversation starter for pastors. What are you preaching on? And of course, I said, you know, what, what did I say? Esther, right? Esther. You want to guess some of the responses? It was kind of interesting. Pastor, have a, oh, preached to that. I thought that was a, our women's study, right? And I was like, oh, wow. I, I kid you not. That's what they said. And, and, and someone else said to me, what, what's the famous line in Esther? For such a time is like this, right? And I said, and? And they go, well, I don't know. That's, that's, you know, that's the main theme. And I'm like, man, this is pastors. They didn't, they were, some of them were, were like, I don't know. I haven't read it in a while. You know, we, we did it in seminary. We did it in Bible school, but we, we haven't gone through it. And I said, man, I, I told one of the youth pastors, I said, man, my congregation is smarter than you. Yeah, yeah, that, that went over really well, but I, I know him, and we had further conversations, and uh, we had lunch together, actually, and had a good time, but if you narrow Esther down to only a woman's study or only to just a time like this, you miss out a lot on Esther, right? It's 10 chapters in the book of Esther, and it has a lot in it, but who is the main character in Esther? Well, that was pretty weak. Come on. You know, my hearing's starting to go a little bit, so... God. All right, Jesse's got it. All right, someone else? God, right? It's not about Esther. It's not about Haman. It's not about Mordecai. It's not even about the king of the time, the Persian king, Xerxes. It is about God, right? It's kind of always a safe answer in the Old Testament. It's about God, Right? But not just about God, but it's also about what God's doing, right? God is always at work. God is always doing something, even when we don't see it, even when it's hard to recognize, even when they're in captivity, right? The Jews find themselves placed in captivity at this point. Old Testament history, I'm going to hopefully jog some of your memories, right? But there's this cycle that goes on, right? They do really well, they're following God, and then they fall into temptation, they fall away, God has to discipline them. And he disciplines an enemy. Interesting enough, he uses a non-believer quite often to discipline his people, to show them, hey, you messed up. It's not your purpose, right? You've gotten off track. And so they're in that cycle. In fact, they're in a really bad cycle at this point. They're in that middle frame of 70 years. That's a long time. 70 years of being punished in a Gentile land under rule and pretty low point in their history. And yet amongst that, God is still at work. God is still faithful. He's still doing his work, still keeping his promises through that. And so that's what's going on in Esther and a lot of other things as well. And so if you're with us this morning, it's the first time, and you haven't read Esther in a while, I encourage you to read it. It's not a long read, but read it this week. 
study, chew on a little bit. But I want to give you a running start because I know we do have guests here with us this morning, right? So we have King Xerxes, right? And he has a queen. And the, the king throws a banquet and he asks queen to come to him. Again, this is the Persian king. And she, doesn't, she refuses the king. And so he gets together with his nobles and he puts her out, divorces her, sends her away. And so he's without a queen. He's also, in time of history, he's getting ready to do a great battle. And he goes to battle against the Greeks, and he loses. He comes back, and he starts his search again for a new queen. And so he calls upon all the women of the land, all the, the young virgins, to come, do a year-long beauty treatment. We made some fun of that. I got in some trouble with that, right? That's about a year long. And some of you men, it wouldn't help to have a year or two years. It's always safer with the guys. Man, don't go there with the women. My wife's let me know this. Stay away from it. But after a year, King Hazem come before him, and he picks out Esther just by chance. Esther's an interesting character. She's, uh, she has to be adopted, right? Her parents are killed. She's all alone. Her uncle adopts her, Mordecai. We see him in the story. In fact, Mordecai tells, hey, don't mention the fact that you're a Jew, right? It's bad enough that we're in this land, but let's keep it undercover, right? Let's not mention that. A little later on in the story, we, we get introduced to another character, right? Haman the Agite, right? And Mordecai refuses. Mordecai hates the fact that he's an Agite, longstanding history. And so Mordecai refuses. Haman gets upset, that's putting it mildly, and goes before the king, and he gets the king to agree to have all the Jews killed, right? Annihilated, wiped out. Talks about how they're disrespectful, they don't, they're not following the king, and so the king goes along with it, right? King doesn't know about Mordecai or Esther, that their heritage yet, and so he puts out this decree, Again, we've gone through about six chapters already. Again, I'm giving you just the, the highlights, just some of the, the tops of the, the, the peaks here. And then last week, we learned that Haman comes to his demise. You know, Esther goes before the, the king. He, she asks you know, if she will spare her people. Haman gets put in an awkward situation, right? We fell down between the, the, before the queen, and he gets put over him, gets impaled on the 75-foot pole. That's where we left off last week. See what you miss? What you miss if you're not here last week? All right. That's where we pick up the story this week. All right. Esther's in this peculiar place now where she's gotten her request. Her life, at least at the moment, has been spared. Haman's been killed. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. So chapter 8, verse 1. There we go. I said something about 8 and 9 up there. I was like, whew, I'm not going to do all of 9 today, so it's not good. All right. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, The same day King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. 
Again, a couple of things there. We talked about this a little bit last week that it's unusual behavior in many ways, right? Whenever the, the king would have someone put out in their estate, it would normally go back to the king. And so for him to give it to Queen Esther is a little bit out of character, right? It's not the normal. But as we know, God has been working through Esther all along the way up to this point. And so that's part of that. And Esther turns that over right over to her beloved uncle and advisor, Mordecai. Remember, I left out a little piece there. Mordecai is, comes in and out of the story. Not only is he the guardian over Esther, but he also had overheard a plot to, to kill the king early on. And so he let the king know that, and the king is established. And so he now has favor with the king. And the king has established him, and Esther's now given him property on top of it. So in a way, Esther's repaying back her family now. But there's still a problem, right? There's still a problem of the king has put out this decree to all the lands to have the Jews killed. Remember I told you the Persian kings were never wrong. I don't know what that's like. I probably messed up even an announcement this morning. I usually don't make it that long, right? It's, right? The king's never wrong. So he's got this out there. So they got this problem. The Jews are facing a pending date to death. So once again, verse 3, Esther pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, the Agite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended his gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. Again, remember, requesting things from the king is at peril. You, you are putting your life on the line whenever you ask the king. Right? If he doesn't like the way you requested it, if he like the request itself, um, We've also seen this has been a moody king, right? We'd say that. If he was in our, in our job situation, we'd say this is a, or if he was our boss, we'd say, man, what a moody boss, right? He has fits of rage. He, he's up and down with his emotions. He's immature. But by him lifting the scepter, it gives Esther, she has favor again. She has his ear. But once again, Esther now over and over again has placed herself in this position where she could be killed at any moment upon his whims, yet she's not. She's found favor with the king. king has kept extending his grace to her. Again, it's not normal practice for a Persian king to do that, but in this case, Esther has been treated specially. Like I said, we have this problem, right? The Jews are set to be destroyed. We also talked about the timing, right? It's going to be 12 months later, but it is coming. There is a a day of reckoning. They've had time to prepare somewhat, but it's coming. So here's Esther's request, verse 5. It says, If it pleases the king, and if he regards me with favor, and thinks it's the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamath, the Agite devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? 
How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? It's an interesting request, but even the way she asks the question, right? I kind of picture her kind of shrinking a little bit and kind of, if it pleases you, King, right? She's not demanding in any sense of the word, right? She's asking, and she's asking almost with trepidation, right? She doesn't know how this is going to come out. If, if you regard me with favor, right? If it pleases you. If you think it's the right thing to do, right? Again, there's no demands there. There's no, no, not even a hint of pride that she's got the king where he wants him or she's not coming to him demanding things, right? She's asking if, if it pleases you, if you think it's right, right? I see someone very humble coming towards the king here and asking the request. Verse 6 is key here, though, right? She identifies herself for my people, my people. She has no idea. Remember, up to this point, the king doesn't know that she's a Jew. He has no idea, but now it's been revealed, right? How can I see this disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my families, right? So the king's going, oh, all right, now he knows, right? This is... Well, now Esther's at risk. So is Mordecai, who I've just made very powerful, and all the other Jews. So she's really put it out there now. It's one thing about her own life, but now she's put the whole nation of Israel on display. They're out there. And this is coming. This destruction is coming. So now the king's got a problem, but he's got to deal with it. But now he has a little bit more knowledge. Verse 7, King Xerxes replied to the Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on the pole he set up. Now write another decree in the king's name in behalf of the Jews, as it seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name was sealed and sealed with his ring can be revoked. Except the king can't make mistakes. He can't just pull back the order. He gets, well, just cancel it out. You know, I, I listened to the wrong person, right? Haman wasn't good, didn't give me good advice. He, he can't do that. The contrast, right? The king's, king's very prideful, right? He, he, he doesn't want to lose face in this. But yet he wants to please Esther and save them. So he's kind of caught. The contrast is the, the king's pride and then Esther is coming humbly before him, right? Every step of the way. We've seen that where she's requesting this. And it's not just a request of her own life. But now it's a request of the nation. That's a lot of pressure, right? That's a lot of pressure. That's, that's a hard place to be in. Again, it's not wrong that Esther was placed for just a time as this, but again, God's been setting the stage. God's the one that's been doing the work. God's been the one that's orchestrating it. And God's even been in control on how the king responds to Esther. That's why you can easily say God is the one that this story is about. He's the one that's in control of this. Because Esther never should have been in that spot normally. Verse 9, 
At once the royal secretaries were summoned. On the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan, they wrote out all of Mordecai's orders to the Jews and to the seraphs, governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces, stretching from India to Cush. These orders were written in the script of each province and the language of each people and also to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes, sealed in dispatches with a king's signet ring, and sent them by mounted couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king. Remember I said, there's no email, there's no Twitter, there's no texting, there's no, none of that quick stuff that we have today. It's got to go by word, right? And, I, and the Persians, by their own account, by history's account, were very efficient at getting the word out. It even says here, it's kind of interesting just on history standpoint, but they were very big in breeding horses, and they bred horses that were extremely fast. They would race them, and then if they found one that was especially bred that ran really well, they would just keep that line going. They would train them up to be able to go fast for the purpose of being able to get the word out. Because remember, they're on a timeline here, right? There's times gone by, and there's that date that's coming, and so Everything goes a little bit slower, but it's coming quickly. Interesting enough, he allows Mordecai to write the letter. Right? Mordecai gets to say what he's going to put out there, what's going to be the word. Now, he's been given the authority by the king to certainly do that, and the ring would be a, with a mark on it would be a seal, so they'd know where it was coming from. But he's the one that's given the word out. The dates and the times help us put the, put the story together. Those who do commentaries and, and study the scriptures can figure out the, the timeline. But a couple months have gone by up until this point. Again, we're not talking, the whole book of Esther is only about a 10-year period of time. But we're, we're down to months now. The scribes would have, yes, yep, yep. Yeah, again, 127 provinces, right? It's a vast land. It's pretty much the known world at that point. Good question, Steve. Yes, thank you. No, don't let me miss that, right? Again, that would speed up the process, right? Obviously, if you got to a place and they spoke a different language and if it wasn't in your language, you'd have to find a translator and, again, that would take more time. Again, the king's edict is going out very quick. But here's what's in the message. Verse 11, don't miss this. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves. Nationality, destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality or province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the province of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month the month of Adar. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every providence and made known to the people and of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on the day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers riding the royal horses went out and spurred on by the king's command and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. Again, Susa being the capital, that was where it started and then it spread out from there. Right? All right, so if you are a captive in a land, right? 
would you normally be allowed to take up arms to defend yourself? No, no. You, you, you wouldn't let, allow an, an army to stew up with inside you, right? You know, inside your own country. You wouldn't allow that to happen. Or to care. This is a very powerful statement the king's given them, a powerful freedom that has been allowed to be given here to people who are captive. They now can protect themselves. They can take up arms. They can defend themselves. It's really interesting in light of where we live as well. I'm not going there, but it's there. You could make some similarities or you could make some things, right? But it's not even just so much to defend themselves. The power is even broadened to the fact that they can take over the plunder, right? So not only do you get defeated, not only do they kill them, but they actually get to take the estate. Again, this is not normal. Normally, the king gets everything. That's how that used to work, right? You get to be the king, you get it all. So if the land is conquered, if there's gold, if there's anything plundered, it comes back to the king. And it's not like the Persian Empire was small. It was rather large, and to run that took a lot. So for the king to allow them to take up arms, to defend themselves, to own and have property and estate, and to keep the spoils was a big deal. Again, not normally what was done. Also, the speed in which it was done, right? To make sure to get ahead of the attacks. To get ahead of the fact that people were out there that wanted to kill them. Also, bear in mind, the Jews had many enemies, not just the Agites. There were plenty others within that Persian that didn't like them. That group was hated by many. Again, similarities today, right? The Jews today are hated by many. They don't have many allies or many friends. Yet, even since then till now, God has faithfully protected that remnant because God promised to do that. See how the story's kind of moving along? It's kind of cool that way, at least from my perspective and studying. And now he's set it up. Now it's got to play out. Right? How's that play out? Verse 15, when Mordecai left the king's presence, he was wearing royal garments of blue and white and a large crown of gold and a purple robe of fine linen. And the city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. Interesting, it's tucked in there, right? Why is it joyous? Why is it, right? Pirates, they're being recognized. They're finally, after all these years, are being recognized as a nation, and they've been given a voice. Remember, when you're a captive in another land, you're, you're, you're pretty low on the totem pole. Right? You can be abused. You're not much higher than a slave. You are kind of a, a slave in many ways, but you're pretty low. You're not well thought of. And yet, now they've been brought up to prominence. They've been given some rights, some freedoms. And now they even have a representative. Mordecai has moved high up into the nobles. He's got the king's ear now. I call this hope. The Jews have some hope now. They haven't had it for a long time, but they've got some hope. Right? 
And you got to imagine that some of them are thinking, oh man, God is finally here again. They've lost sight of him. God is still in control. God still wants to use us, still want to keep us, still want to, hopefully at some point, and we know that he does establish our nation again. And he, he sets that aside um, while they're in this captivity, but it's coming down the road. Verse 17. In every providence and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Quite often I get asked the question, so why does God choose the Jews? Besides the fact that he, why does he watch over that group of people all throughout Scripture, besides the fact that he said he was going to. But why? What is that purpose? What is the, the purpose of that? Well, you get a glimpse of it right here, right? And many people of other nationalities became Jews because they fear of the Jews had seized them. Not out of fear, but out of the Jews recognizing that they were protected. Right? God uses the Jews to point to himself. That's always been the plan, right? It's not about the Jews per se, it's always about God. And God uses people to point them to himself. And the Jews are that special nation, right? Because they're nothing special in and of themselves except for the fact that God has chosen them. Again, it's all about God. And so I think we get a little glimpse of that here, just one more glimpse of many. Obviously, there are many other stories as you read through the Old Testament that point God taking care of his people, yet drawing people unto himself, right? It was never meant to be the Jews only. Again, fast forward to today, right? It's not just the Jews. It's us Gentiles and others, we get that opportunity to come to Christ. It's just setting that up. And so we have that here in Scripture to remind us, right? God wants each and every person for himself. Read a couple more verses here, just as it transitions, because it'll set us up for next week, which will be the last of this series. But chapter 9. On the 13th day of the 12th month in the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces and the kings are used to attack those determined to destroy them. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nations were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the seraphs, the governors, the king administrators, helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the province and he became more and more powerful. Right? Mordecai has gone the ups and downs as well. Just like Esther, just like the nation. Again, this isn't normal Persian behavior because God's in control. God's changing the system there. He's bringing the Jews 
to the forefront. Right? He's watching over his people. He's taking care of them. Do you know we have the same promises today that God's going to take care of us? Right? We have that same hope, right? God's going to take care of us. Now, God is the same. God hasn't changed. He does it through different means, right? But he hasn't changed. God still wants to take care of us as believers. We now enter into that same promise, right? And he can use whatever government, whatever system, whatever he wants to do that. I also know this to be true. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And Esther is just one, Mordecai is just another of many who God's chosen to use. And in and of themselves, they were just ordinary people, just like you and me. So take hope in that. Take encouragement from that. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we've worked through this passage this morning, Lord, may you speak to our hearts. May you encourage those who may be feeling alone, maybe not feeling close to God this morning. Remind them, Lord, that you have chosen them out, that you want to use them mightily for you. Lord, we're thankful that you do use ordinary people, and that you watch out over us, and you provide for us, and you take care of us. Lord, continue to do your work in our hearts, continue to do your work in and through us throughout this week, Lord. Situation, Lord, I also pray that you would use us just like the Jews in this situation, Lord, that we would be a beacon to those who are lost and that we would point people to Christ, that we would represent you well. Lord, help us to do that. Give us the opportunities. Make us bold when we get those chances. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.